Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast, the show that features artists, entrepreneurs, experts, and commentators that will give you the right knowledge, planning, and guidance so you can preserve your assets and enjoy your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at wealthactually.com. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes. It is neither investment, legal, nor tax advice and does not represent the opinions of the employers of the host or guest. And now, here's your host, Fraser Rice. Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast. I'm Fraser Rice. With the end of the year approaching, the high net worth and family office space is in the midst of intergenerational planning. One of the ideas on the minds of many families is providing for future generations. It would be natural to make gifts to these future generations to avoid the estate tax. However, Congress figured that out and implemented the Generation Skipping Transfer Tax back in 1976. The GST is not easy to understand, implement, or track, especially across generations. Michael Grossman is here to help us understand this GST tax. Michael's the Tax Manager Fiduciary Specialist for Adelman, Katz, and Mond, LLP. He has extensive experience working as a tax manager, fiduciary accountant, and trust and estate administrator for the past 27 years, and he manages all aspects of high net worth individuals and family office groups. Welcome aboard, Michael. Thank you, Frazier. Thanks very much for having me. Well, it's great to have you on. We're going to be talking about one of the most misunderstood concepts in wealth management and estate planning, the generation skipping tax. And as I like to tell people, it's a tax that's often forgotten amidst the income tax, the capital gains tax, and the estate tax. How do you think about it? And how do you tell your clients how to parse themselves in those different types of taxation? Well, exactly, Frazier. When people look at estate and trust planning, they also look at it from a gift tax planning standpoint. And that's usually the conversation that people have. But the misconception is, is that that's all they need to look at or talk about whether I give a gift to my children or my grandchildren or put it into a trust, they're just looking at that 11.7 million that I can give away if I have a partner and 11.7 million that they can give away. But if you look at it and you kind of do it a little old fashioned, you take down, take out a piece of paper and you split it down the middle, the gift tax estate lifetime giving exclusion is 11 million seven. And that's under one column. Under the yellow column is the GST exclusion which is also $11.7 million. But what you do to one side, which is opposite to what we normally do in accounting, what you do to one side, you usually do to the other. But in this case, the government looks at gifts two different ways. If you're giving it to the current generation, i.e. your children or someone of an age less than 37 and a half years younger than you are, or if you're giving it to that generation. So most people just think, well, if I give it to this one, or I give it to that one, or I give it to a trust, I have the ability to do so, and I only have to be concerned about the gift tax. But as I said, there are two columns. So it is very, very important for people to understand that if they make a gift, usually the questions and the problems come into play when we're dealing with trusts. You can't just assume that everything applies to what we think it applies to. The questions and the education of our clients is very, very crucial in this point. And a lot of times people just look at it under that one column of lifetime exemption for gift tax purposes. So, for example, let's just take a step back and say, you know, what is a taxable gift, which is usually a big misconception before we even get into GST. When someone says you make a taxable gift, people usually assume that they owe money. 
or they have to pay a tax. But the idea kind of correlates to income tax. Because if I were to start a job or start a business and I make $7,000 for the year, that's taxable income. I have to report that taxable income. But my standard deduction is going to be greater than that, so I won't owe any tax. It's the same thing if I make a gift to anyone and it's over a certain amount, which in 2022 and 23 going forward is $16,000 a year, that's considered a taxable gift, but you don't pay tax. So for example, you're a nice guy, Frazier. I want to write you a check for $20,000. Yum. The first $16,000 of that is what the IRS calls that annual exclusion. I can give away $16,000 to anybody. Doesn't matter even what generation, as long as I'm giving it to them directly. I can write you a check for 16. I could write 10 people a check for 16. I can give away $160,000, but not use any of my lifetime exclusion, either in gift or under GST, because it's within that $16,000 exclusion range. But I said I was going to give you a check for 20. So what happens in that basic instance is I report a gift for $20,000 to you. I take an annual exclusion of $16,000. Now I have $4,000 left. That is what we call, what the government calls, a taxable gift. But all that means is that that $4,000, that amount in excess of the annual exclusion, that's what goes against the $11.7 million. It's over 12 now, right? I'm sorry, 12 million, 6,000, right. So that's the only amount that goes against that lifetime exclusion. Similarly, if I write a check to my grandchildren, I have two grandchildren. If I write a check to them for $20,000 each, well, the same thing. But now the difference is what is considered a generation skipping gift and what is considered an ordinary gift. When you make a gift to the next generation, which is considered to be either your grandchild, which is literally not your direct descendants, but the next level down, the next generation, or someone that is 37 and a half years younger than you are. In most cases, it's grandchildren. As long as I'm giving a gift to an individual that has the ability to have a present interest in that gift, they can use the gift today. That's how they're allowed to use the annual exclusion of $16,000. But if I were to give you a check for $20,000 and my grandchildren each get a check for $20,000, what happens is my gift to you, that only goes against my $12,060,000 for my ordinary gifts. My grandchildren, those gifts, that goes against my ordinary lifetime exemption for gift tax purposes as well. But it also goes under the column for GST. So on the last page of the, of the gift tax return, there's a page that talks about the GST, what you have. If I make a gift to you, I'm only affecting the ordinary gift tax lifetime exemption. If I make a gift to the next generation, it's possible that I may be reducing the 12060000 for the GST lifetime exemption. Quick question on top of that. So a good idea or you know, sort of the implication there is that to the extent that you can use your ordinary gift lifetime exemption and the GST lifetime exemption within your estate planning, 
you're getting an essentially double effectiveness with your two different exemptions there. That's correct. And you could also have one balance of lifetime gifts left. For example, instead of having the 12 million, 60,000, if you made a hundred thousand dollars in gifts to the current generation, well, then that will go down by a hundred thousand dollars. If I didn't make any gifts to the next generation, that amount stays the same. You can have different balances in your lifetime exemption depending upon who you're making the gift to. So they both, the gift and the GST, both start out with the 12 million, 60,000. Now, one key that I don't want to forget is that when they changed the law several years ago and they created the portability concept, if I were to pass away and not have used up any of my 12 million lifetime exemption, that 12 million could go to my wife and she could have $24 million of assets. The GST, you're not allowed to use whatever you have not used for a portability to your wife. So in planning, it's key to understand who you're giving this to. And again, the amount that you can give away for ordinary gifts is different than for GST purposes. And the real issue comes into play when you're making gifts to a trust. Similarly for an individual. Yeah, let's dive into that a little bit. How does that work when you're giving directly to an individual versus a trust? Exactly. So right off the bat, when I write you a check for $20,000, you have a present interest in that $20,000. You can use that. That's how I'm allowed to use the annual exclusion of $16,000. So I write you a check for $20,000. I have the annual exclusion because you have a present interest in that money. You can use it today. I only have a taxable gift of $4,000. But when you make a gift to a trust, the beneficiaries of that trust may or may not have a right to any of that money. And the only way making a gift to a trust, whether it's an ordinary trust or a GST trust, is the beneficiaries have to have a present interest, which falls under what's famously called crummy powers. In the document itself, The trust has to say specifically that you, Frazier, are the beneficiary, and any year that I make a gift, you have the right within a 30-day time frame to remove an amount of money equal to the annual exclusion. Nine out of 10 times or more than that, people don't use it because the idea is to keep the money in the trust and make it allow it to grow. But the fact that you have the ability to take out that $16,000, depending upon each year, that creates, according to the IRS, an interest in those funds. So I can deduct the annual exclusion. So if the trust itself does not have crummy powers, then if I make a write a check for $20,000 to a trust, that's my taxable gift. It's $20,000. If the trust is drafted and there are crummy powers to the beneficiary, Then, as I stated in the case directly to you, now I have the ability to make a gift to the trust. You have the crummy power. I can deduct the annual exclusion. And again, I would only have a taxable gift of $4,000. So in order for a trust to use the annual exclusions, it specifically needs to be drafted in the document itself to give you that present interest or any of the beneficiaries that present interest. The big difference between ordinary gift trusts and GST trusts is how they're drafted. 
How does a trustee know what to allocate and not allocate? Well, that decision comes in from the overall estate planning because there are times when, and it's usually not up to the trustee, it's usually up to the donor because the donor is making the gift. And at the time of the gift, they need to understand that there are these two exemptions. And if there's a possibility that I'm the donor and I leave money in the trust to you or to my children, and if they pass away before they use up funds, it's possible that it might go to the next generation. So the decision comes into play, do I want to use the assets that I gifted to this trust and quote unquote allocated to GST exemption because the IRS in the old days, you had to physically make an allocation, an election on the gift tax return to state that you are allocating the gifts that went to this trust against your GST, not only your ordinary gift, but GST. People forget or people aren't told that if you use up the $12 million of your ordinary gift exemption or estate exemption, lifetime exemption, you pay a state tax. But if you give more than the $12,060,000 to the next generation, you are going to pay a GST tax on top of that estate tax. And the donor needs to understand or decide, do I want to use up my exemption on this particular gift? Because when they put assets into that trust and they make that allocation and they make that decision, that will reduce the $12,060,000 that they have on their lifetime exemptions for GST purposes. And what would happen is all the assets in that trust would grow estate tax-free and GST tax-free. So the grandchildren would ultimately get the assets in that trust 100% tax-free. If you don't make that allocation on the gift tax return, and ultimately those assets do go to the next generation, those assets will be subject to the GST tax. So the same way you want to put your assets in a trust, lock in the value, and then allow all the appreciation to grow outside of your state, the same idea has to come into play for GST purposes. That if you put money into a trust, you have to decide at the time of the trust, if there's a possibility of it going to the next generation, if you want those assets to be allocated or not. And that comes into play from your entire estate. You may have other assets or other ideas for giving to your grandchildren in some other form or fashion down the road. It's not just, yes, it automatically goes to the next generation or no, it doesn't automatically go to the next generation. When do you have to make that election? That election has to be made on a timely filed gift tax return. So a lot of times what happens is people go out and they create a trust, they contact an attorney, they put assets in there, and then we get a call either before year end or sometime in the following year, and they put assets into this trust. We need to figure out where the discussions had, whether or not in your overall estate plan, do you want to allocate these funds to generation skipping? It must be done on a form 709, which is the gift tax return that you file annually if you have any reportable gifts. And on that tax return, you have to state that you are electing to allocate GST, part of that 12060000 thousand, 
against the gifts that you're making in that trust today and going forward. You have to physically tell the IRS that you're doing that. And you can't wait five years and then say, oh, my circumstances have changed. I'd like to elect some GST. You have to do it upon the gift. If you do that, and what the problem was back in the old days where there wasn't automatic allocation, people would wake up, as you just said, two, three, four, five years down the road and realize that they want to allocate GST against their lifetime exemption, or they forgot to. The problem is, is the IRS looks at that as, okay, you forgot to do it. But they look at the fair market value of the assets at the time, two, three, four years down the road. And that's what they allocate to GST. So if I make a gift of a million dollars and don't allocate it into a trust and I don't allocate that specific gift to that trust against my GST, then if you wake up down the road three, four years and you want to do that and it's worth five million dollars, that's what the IRS is going to say. That's how much you're using up against your lifetime exemption for GST purposes. So it's essential to make the decision and make the elections and make the allocations on the gift tax return on the year that you make those gifts. And all the more reason when you're doing broader planning, et cetera, you've got to have this GST discussion while you're doing it because half the battle is to try to get the, have to get the assets out of your estate. And if you get it on one half of the ledger, but you don't do it from the next generation or third generation standpoint, you've, you've halved the effectiveness essentially. I'll give you a very quick story that this past tax year in 2021 had a client who the husband set up a trust about 15 years ago, an insurance trust. And in 2021, they decided the wife was going to set up a trust as well. And they went to an attorney and, they dra- and he, the attorney drafted the trust. They put money in, they put the premiums into the trust so they could fund the life insurance. When they came to us to do the gift tax return, I said, well, the husband already made a gift 15, 20 years ago and allocated the gifts to his generation skipping, the generation skipping tax. When I asked him the question for her, do you want to do that for your gifts as well? She says, I'm not quite sure what you're talking about. I said, well, your husband's gifts went into a trust. And we've been allocating GST exemption every single year for the last 15 years. But she said, but I, we have crummy powers. We have the annual exclusions. We did the crummy powers. I said, yes, but this particular trust that he has doesn't allow you the annual exclusions for GST. So people go to an attorney, no disrespect to any attorneys, but in order to make these types of decisions, you have to look at your entire estate from a global perspective. When I call the attorney to have the question, well, do you want to allocate the GST for this particular trust? I said, the husband created a trust 15 years ago. He had no idea that the husband created a trust. He never reviewed any of their life, any of their prior gift tax returns and never had the conversation with them about GST exemption. What's in their estate? What do they want to do? They don't even have grandchildren yet. So it's essential when you make gifts either to a trust or to the next generation that you include all the different professional advisors that you have, not just the attorney drafting it, but the accountants and the financial advisors to make sure that everyone is on the same page. They understand what the intent 
of the gift is, that the grantor knows what's going to happen today and in the future. A lot of times people think, well, I don't have $12 million or $24 million today, so I don't really need to worry about it, or I don't have an estate. But at the end of the day, these are the types of things that I always say, everybody loves everybody, everybody likes everybody, and there are no issues until. And what that until is, whether it's good or bad, if it's you know life, marriage, unfortunately death, having kids, all of these things come into play. And all the decisions that you make today in your estate plan can and will affect you somewhere down the road. It's not just a, okay, I set up a will or I set up a trust document and I never have to think about it anymore. It's a constantly living, breathing thing. And as your life changes, you have more grandchildren, some get married, some are going to all the different life decisions that you make. The GST discussion has to become part of your overall estate planning discussions, your gift tax planning discussions. Grandparents love to do 529 plans that they put into trust for their grandchildren. All these different various things are essential in order to have a proper and complete estate and financial plan. What other mistakes are out there that we should look at? Obviously, you got you have to be coordinated with the different advisors and keep track of the GST exemption being used and not only keep track of it being used, but also keep track of the value. And I going back into the Wayback Machine, I know the concept of tainting trusts is a problem. What else is out there that we have to watch out for? One of the biggest mistakes, not only from an understanding point of view from the grantor, but it is essential to make sure that whoever is preparing the gift tax returns for you really understands what they are doing. Because every single box makes matters. Where you report the gift on this schedule or that schedule matters. For example, when you make a gift to a trust, you can either make a direct gift to a trust, which is considered, I set up a trust only for my grandchildren. They're going to get the money. They can take money out. It's only for them, period. That's a direct gift through a trust for the next generation, for my grandchildren. That gets reported on one section of the gift tax return. If I make a gift to a trust where it's going to my children, but it's possible somewhere down the road it can go to my grandchildren, then you need to report that as an indirect gift. And that's where the communication between the drafting attorney the gift tax preparer, the tax accountant needs to come into play because it's not only does the grantor understand, is it part of their overall estate plan, but the mechanics of preparing a gift tax return, checking the right boxes, checking the election, including the description of the gifts in order for a gift tax return to be considered a complete gift tax return to start the statute of limitations, all of those things have to happen. For example, if someone makes a gift and within that valuation of the gift, there is some type of minority discount or some type of discount to those gifts where instead of it being considered a million dollar gift because of lack of marketability or minority interest ownership, you get an appraisal that says, no, it's only worth $500,000. There's a box on the gift tax return that you have to check that states Yes, there are gifts here where there are 
discounts. All these little mechanics, it's not just, is it part of our planning? Do the financial advisors know? You have to make sure that you're working with professionals from the tax side and the tax preparer side that understand all these different idiosyncrasies or all these different nuances in reading the trust document, which goes back to, from my experience, being trained by trust and estate attorneys. We look at a trust document and make sure that we understand it as the preparer before we even do anything. And we'll go back to the client and we'll go back to the drafting attorney and make sure that do they understand all the ramifications? Are there things in here that were not discussed? Because the gift tax return, that's the representation. So tell me a little bit about, is there anything automatic about this in terms of the allocation of the GST exemption, or is everything done manually through that gift tax return? The IRS changed the rules where you used to have to physically make the allocation on the gift tax return. And if you didn't, that's when people would run into trouble. The IRS came back and said that any gift to a direct or more specifically an indirect trust has the automatic allocation applied to it. But in order to specifically delineate between what gifts you want to go to that specific trust on a gift tax return, even though there is this automatic allocation, you still need to list and detail which gifts are going to the trust, which gifts are being allocated against the lifetime exemption, because you can make a gift on any particular year. And what if you make gifts to three different trusts? And some of you are allocating GST, some of you are not. One trust could be a GST trust, one can be considered an indirect trust. So it's essential that when you file the gift tax return, you specifically claim which gifts to which trust are being allocated against your lifetime GST exemption. And you attach the gift tax, the, uh, the trust document to the gift tax return itself when you file the gifts for that initial year. So many traps for the unwary. As we wind down here, from a best practices perspective, we talked a little bit about making sure that the whole team is involved. From an administrative perspective, when these things get set up and then you're five years down the line, 20 years down the line, et cetera, what should we be thinking about in terms of making sure that the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and we don't create issues by gifts that aren't considered or distributions that aren't thought of correctly? That's an excellent way to, to sum everything up, Frazier, because as I said a few minutes ago, I look at planning like this. I don't like to consider it trust and estate planning or gift tax planning. It's more life planning because as you go through your life, things change and the laws change. And yes, the lifetime exemptions are at $12 million, but anybody that's in the profession back in 2012 when the exemption was $5 million, nobody in their right mind thought that it was going to go up to $11 million and then the government was going to even give us portability. You never know what's going to happen. So it is really, really key. And most people usually focus more consistently on their financial plan, what their brokerage account is doing, what their IRA is doing, all those types of things. You have to do that alongside 
and in step with your estate planning in terms of how your accounts are titled, are your wills up to date in terms of your current status, whether you're married, if you get divorced, if someone passes away. The most important piece of advice and the best piece of advice I can give is as you go along in your life and as things change, you want to make sure that all the professionals in your life know what your intents were, where you are in your life. And it's possible sometimes those decisions can change as the laws change, as your life changes. So do some of your decisions. So in terms of knowing down the road, what's going to happen or from an administrative standpoint of view, You want to work with people who understand the intricacies that we're talking about and that we have spoken about so that as you go down the road, when things changes, you need to regroup and talk to those professionals again, make sure that distributions are being made if they're required to see if there are any additional grandchildren that have been born. I've been involved in situations where today the son of the daughter is welcome and everybody loves each other. And the next day they become the black sheep of the family and the ownership and the business changes. And all of those things affect and trickle down in every single part, not only in your financial planning, but in your life planning with respect to your wills, your trusts, et cetera. So the best advice I can give is constantly look at these things, constantly talk to the people that are advisors to you and close to you to make sure that these things aren't missed and those types of things don't fall through the cracks. Great stuff. Michael, how do we stay in touch? You could reach me through my email, which is mgrossman at akmcpa.com, which is the best way to reach me. My number is 212-383-0404. And I'm also on LinkedIn if anybody wants to reach out to me that way. And I'd be more than happy to follow up any of these types of discussions or questions with, you know, with anyone that would like to do so. I will have all that information on the show notes. Michael, thank you for taking us through a very complicated topic, often very misunderstood and help making it as clear as possible, I think. Appreciate having you on. Frazier, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wealth Actually, hosted by Fraser Rice, author of the book Wealth Actually and a leading private wealth manager. Head on over to WealthActually.com where you can subscribe to this podcast, get your own copy of the Wealth Actually book, and connect with Fraser directly. We'll see you next time on Wealth Actually. Fraser Rice is an employee of Next Capital Management, LLC. This podcast is not investment, legal, or tax advice, nor does it reflect the opinions of Next Capital Management. Any opinions represented in the show are Fraser's individually and not an endorsement of the guests.